The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Even companies with sophisticated lobbying operations sought knowledgeable insiders to get insight into Donald Trump's administration after his election pitch as the ultimate insider. His longtime fixer and New York lawyer, Michael Cohen, took advantage of this opportunity. And Michael Avenatti, the attorney representing adult film star Stormy Daniels, released a document detailing more than $4 million in payments from companies including AT&T and pharmaceutical company Novartis to a shell company set up by Cohen. He spoke on Good Morning America. We don't know what advice he was, he was giving. Here's what we do know. Each company has given a different reason for retaining Michael Cohen. Real estate, business consulting, healthcare consulting, the list goes on and on. That was Michael Avenatti, the attorney representing Stormy Daniels. Joining me is Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. Brad, these payments, including that $1.2 million from Novartis, may look bad, but other Trump associates, like former campaign manager Corey Lewandowski, have taken on consulting roles based on their access to Trump. So are these payments illegal in any respect? Well, it's, it's too early to say right now, because we're just starting to get some of the details. So let's separate legal from political optics. From a, from a pure optics standpoint, it looks terrible, just in the sense of this is another example of for a candidate who was going to drain the swamp and was constantly trashing Hillary Clinton, but people paying for access. Once he got into office, all of his hanger-ons, like Corey Lewandowski and Michael Cohen, did the exact same thing. They were, bra- they were brazenly selling themselves as the people to talk to and to pay for access to Trump. But from a legal standpoint, it's not quite clear what happened here, if it crossed any actual criminal lines, any, uh, thing that, anything that would involve in uh, actual charges. We know that from what has been described of Cohen's activities, he may have been required to have uh, signed on as a register as a lobbyist. It's not clear if it ever got far enough for that to be required, but that could be an issue he'd come across. There's questions about his ethical obligations. There's issues about whether or not the funding that was being provided was tied or being intermixed with funding for other things such as the payment to Stormy Daniels. So it's certainly some issues for Cohen on an ethical standpoint, maybe on a legal one with respect to lobbying, but it's not clear yet if there's going to be anything beyond that. You know, people are saying more and more now, follow the money as they did quite some time ago during during Water, Watergate. But so where did all the money go? Because Cohen has taken out in order to pay his legal bills, he's taken out a second mortgage on his apartment, I believe. So where did all this money go? I think that's certainly something that the Mueller team or actually, I'm sorry, the uh, attorneys in Manhattan in the Southern District of New York that the U.S. Attorney's Office has been piling through and going through in terms of the information they got from the raids, trying to figure out for a guy who was pulling in such good money, especially in 2017 just from that, but also in the past 
properties at great amounts of uh, markup, you know, for some $26 million, why was he so cash-strapped? Was he simply over-leveraged other areas, or was there something more shady, more nefarious that was going into how this money was being brought in? And I think that's something that's going to haunt Mr. Cohen as this case proceeds. There was a half million dollars from Columbus Nova, a company tied to Viktor Vexelberg, a Russian oligarch with links to Putin. Mueller's team did talk to Vexelberg and the chief executive of that firm in November. Does the fact that Mueller handed off that part, the Cohen part of the investigation to the Southern District of New York mean there was no evidence connected to Russian interference in Trump's presidential campaign? I think that's a reasonable conclusion to uh, take right now, um, that if there was anything, even if there was any criminal coordination with this individual, that it occurred uh, subsequent to the campaign, subsequent to the election, and that it may involve criminal activity that happened in 2017, but it's not necessarily within the scope of Mueller's mandate. And that's why Rosenstein said, no, you're not going to handle that part. We're going to let the U.S. attorney in Manhattan do that. Certainly anything that the U.S. Attorney's Office finds out that is relevant to Mueller's investigation, they can share, uh, along with, as long as they got approval from the higher-ups at DOJ main, uh, main Justice. But at the moment, it sounds like this is something tangentially and peripherally related, but not significantly enough to keep Mueller on it. So then you would agree with Rudy Giuliani, who said, the president is not involved. It's a dead issue, as far as I'm concerned. Is the issue dead? Oh, of course not. It's not dead. I mean, there's already been search warrants. They had a pen register tracking phone logs. I mean, certainly there's something here with respect to Mr. Cohen, the president's personal attorney uh, from a criminal standpoint. And it appears likely, uh, although by no means guaranteed, that the president's personal attorney will be indicted, which doesn't speak too well of the president's judgment and the people he's been associating with. But I don't see this particular limited issue as implicating the president, whether or not Mr. Cohen ultimately agreed, makes a kind of plea deal with the attorney's, U.S. attorney's office and provides uh, cooperating information that's not otherwise attorney-client privilege. That's a separate issue, and that we just don't know yet. I just want to clarify that Cohen put up his family's apartment as collateral for millions of dollars in loans to his troubled taxi business. Let's talk about this revelation from Michael Avenatti. The Treasury Department's inspector general is investigating whether confidential banking information was leaked. So, and everyone was saying, where did he get this information from? Yeah, so, you know, I with, with the way Mr. Avenatti is running this, I, I certainly... I think it's a very interesting strategy he's been pursuing. He certainly kept his client's case in the media headlines. He certainly put Michael Cohen and the president on their heels. But I think he's walking up right up to the line, at least from an ethical standpoint, if not a criminal one, with how he's pursuing this, and particularly in terms of whether or not he's basically soliciting individuals to leak confidential information. By confidential, I'm talking about tax records. I'm talking about banking records that aren't classified, but this is privacy-protected information by statute, by law. It's not supposed to be leaked out. So whomever leaked it out most likely has is justifiably in a position to be fired themselves, if not criminally charged. Whether or not Mr. Avenatti acted in an ethical matter is something for someone else to decide. But I think he's going to be very careful on how he handles these types of things, or he's going to get a, an ethical inquiry at the least that looks into his practice. And I don't think that's what he wants to be dealing with right now. So about 30 seconds. What's next? <laughs> Look at uh, we've got, 
the special master is going to be going through everything still in the Cohen case. I think we got a lot. I think we got new, more indictments probably coming out in the next few weeks. Anything that Mueller's going to do has got to come soon before it gets too close to the election. It's only going to get more interesting and more fun for all. All right. It's always good to talk to you, Brad. That's Bradley Moss. He's a partner at Mark Zaid. The resignation of Eric Schneiderman as New York's attorney general was swift following allegations from four women that he physically abused them, allegations he denied. New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo says he called for Schneiderman's resignation. If it's the president of the United States, if it's the attorney general of New York, nobody is above the law. The state solicitor general, Barbara Underwood, is taking over as the acting AG until a joint session of the state legislature decides on a replacement and voters decide on a new AG in November. Joining me is Bloomberg News legal reporter Bob Van Voris. Bob, Barbara Underwood has had a stellar career with a lot of firsts. Tell us about her. Well, Underwood... uh is educated at Harvard and uh, and uh, was top of her class at Georgetown Law School. Um, she spent a lot of time in New York law enforcement. She's very, very smart. Everybody that I've talked to has said that the AG's hands, uh, that the AG, the AG's office is in very good hands uh, with Barbara Underwood. She, uh, after uh, she, after uh, law school, she clerked with the Supreme Court, and she was a law professor at Yale Law School uh, for about 10 years. Uh, while at Yale, she made uh, the sort of unusual decision to take a leave of absence and come be a line prosecutor uh, here in Manhattan under former uh, DA Robert Morgenthau. Um, after that, she's, uh, she took a lot of uh, positions with uh, prosecutors in New York City also uh, worked as the number two in the federal prosecutor's office in Brooklyn uh, and is uh, now and for the past 10 years has been the Solicitor General of New York State. Uh, and in that position, she is the chief uh, appellate lawyer and, and uh, was the number two person in the office under Schneiderman. Um, she's 73 so- years old. As, as I say, she's got a ton of experience. Um, so uh, people are anticipating that she's going to lead the uh, the office without a hiccup. Well, she sent out a press release that very day she took over, and she continues to send them out, saying that the work will continue without interruption. Schneiderman left behind this massive caseload, some very high-profile litigation and investigations. Describe some of the main ones. Well, I mean, Schneiderman has been uh, very high profile nationally. Obviously, he was in a position, the New York AG is somebody who is always mentioned as a potential uh, candidate for the governor's mansion. Um, but he was opposing President Trump on a number of issues, including the travel ban, uh, anti-LGBT measures, uh, access to uh, contraception for women. Um, Underwood has uh, put out uh, releases, as you said, um, just letting people know that the efforts are going forward. Uh, just in the last couple of days, she's issued uh, press releases on clean power, uh, net neutrality, and health care funding in New York State. Um, and there were lawyers, uh, lawyers for the state were in federal court just yesterday on uh, an issue uh, about the uh, 2020 census, uh, where the state is opposing uh, a Trump plan to, uh, to ask about citizenship on the, on the census. Bob, let's talk about her, the replacement for the interim position. A lot of names of women are being floated. 
That's right. Um, the state legislature is going to name a replacement. Uh, a lot of women have been mentioned, including New York City public advocate Letitia James, uh, uh, former federal prosecutor Carrie Cohen, uh, and uh, and some others. Um, there have also been uh, a number of names floated for people. Uh, you know, uh, after somebody is appointed, uh, somebody's going to have to run in November when the office comes up. Uh, again, for election. Uh, some of the names that have been mentioned for a possible run include uh, Benjamin Lofsky. He's New York's uh, former top financial regulator. Uh, Zephyr Teachout. Uh, she's a former uh, a Fordham Law School professor who uh, ran against Cuomo in uh, Governor Cuomo in the uh, 2014 primary unsuccessfully. Uh, and Preet Bharara. Uh, Preet, of course, is the former uh, Southern District of New York uh, U.S. Attorney, who was fired by Trump last year in in March, and has been a, a, a big uh, Trump critic since. And uh, that would be a very interesting race if just some of those people decide to run. I want to turn for a moment to the investigation over Schneiderman's conduct. And there's been a bit of a turf war over it, and the win is going to the Nassau County DA. How did that happen? Well, so far, that's right. Um, Cuomo uh, asked the Nassau County DA to investigate uh, the uh, con- the conduct of Schneiderman. Obviously, some of the things that were alleged, uh, some of the behavior alleged against him could be uh, could be crimes and, and uh, are going to be investigated. Um, the uh, Nassau County prosecutor has said uh, she has no plans to uh, run for uh, or, or be uh, accept appointment as the attorney general. And uh, the, the backstory for why Cuomo uh, isn't um, is uh, selected the Nassau County uh, prosecutor is because the uh, Manhattan prosecutor, Cy Vance, um, uh, uh, he, uh, Cuomo had asked Schneiderman to look into Vance's um, conduct in connection with uh, the investigation of Harvey Weinstein, uh, in who was being investigated for a uh, his his actions with regard to a, uh, an Italian model, um, and uh, to sort of uh, prevent there from being any questions about the independence of the investigation, he's asked the Nassau County prosecutor to look into it. It is a long and winding road, as you described it. Thanks so much, Bob. Always a pleasure to have you on. That's Bloomberg News legal reporter Bob Van Voris. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.